Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the many ways that you bless us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, he is the reason why we are here. and He is the reason why we're able to enter into your presence in prayer with full confidence, Father, that you hear us and that you answer our prayers. Father, our desire is to be people who serve you at all times, in good times and in bad times. And Father, we know that many of us are facing trials right now, and all of us have faced trials in the past and will face trials in the future. And Father, we want to thank you for being a God who is there with us and for us in the midst of those trials. And Father, help us to be a people who have a faith that endures, endures through all difficulties, all times, and all, all situations. And Father, we pray this through your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So last week, we kicked off a new sermon series, a sermon series that's focused on the book of James. That's a letter that was written by Jesus' younger brother, James. It was written to Jewish Christians who had been scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution that broke out in the wake of Stephen's stoning. And last week, our focus was more on James the man than on James the book. And we saw James's story as a dramatic conversion story. We saw that James was transformed from an embarrassed little brother that wanted to take control of Jesus to protect his family from shame. He was transformed from that into one of Jesus's chosen leaders for his new church. A man who was able to describe himself as a slave of God and a slave of Jesus Christ. And so James, the once unbelieving younger brother of Jesus, became a prominent, influential elder and leader in the Jerusalem church. And when many members of that church were scattered, James, out of concern for his spiritual children, sat down and wrote a letter. He wrote a letter of advice, a letter of counsel. Advice and counsel that James knew he couldn't deliver in person, but it's advice and counsel that he knew that they needed. And it's advice and counsel that he knew they would continue to need. And so as we read James's letter, it's clear that he's anticipating questions that these new Christians would have. He's anticipating questions that would be common to people who are now living far from home and far from their families. He's anticipating questions that would be common to people who have been uprooted and who've been placed in very difficult situations. And we're going to look at the first question that James anticipates He anticipates the question from his distressed and scattered people. He anticipates the question of, what do we do? What do we do about our difficult situations? He knows that they're going to want to know, how should we view these trying times that we're going through? How should we react to these trials that we are facing? How do we get through these trials? So let's listen once more to James's response to those questions. James responds by saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops endurance. And endurance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So James answers this way, What do you do about your difficult situations? James says you should consider them as pure joy. 
How should you view your trying times? James says you should view them with joy. How should you react to these trials that you are facing? James said you should react to them with joy. How do you get through your trials? James says you get through them with joy. And I think our natural reaction to those answers when we hear James's response is a question of our own. It's like, James, are you, are you kidding me? That's your answer? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. In our small groups this week, we'll talk about times in our lives when our lives were filled with joy. And I imagine for most of us, when we're thinking about the times when there was the most joy in our life, we won't be thinking about times when we were going through very significant trials. So surely James can't be serious. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What kind of counsel is that? What kind of advice is that? How can that be helpful for people who are going through trials? But we need to know that James is serious. He's not kidding. And this is good counsel. This is good advice. It's wise advice for Christians who are facing trials then. And it's wise advice for us as we go through our trials today. And to help us understand why it's good counsel and why it's wise advice We need to make sure that we are actually speaking the same language, that we're on the same page with James. We need to understand what James meant when he used some of the terms that we read in this scripture. And the first term that we really need to understand is what James meant when he talks about trials. When James is talking about trials, what is he talking about? Here in the first part of the letter, James isn't talking about the work of Satan. He's not talking about Satan's temptations. James is going to talk about those things. He's going to talk about them a little bit later in this chapter, in verse 13 and following. And we'll talk about that next week. But here he's talking about trials, not about temptations. He's talking about the stresses of life that come from living in mortal bodies and living in a contingent universe. In a contingent universe. We live in a contingent universe. Hot things burn Sharp things cut. Viruses bring diseases. Storms cause damage. Uh, Cruel words hurt. Our cars wear out. Our houses fall in disrepair. You get the idea. We live in a contingent universe. And when James is talking about trials, he's talking about an incredibly broad and incredibly diverse set of circumstances that might befall us. Circumstances that can range from devastating to merely irritating. He's talking about everything from having a cold to having cancer. He's talking about everything from having a leaking roof to not even having a roof over your head. These are all trials. And if we don't know how to deal with the trials that beset us in life, we can be easily overwhelmed by those trials. There's another word that we need to understand what James is saying. That word is joy. And first we should understand that when James says joy, consider it pure joy, he doesn't mean happy. For James, joy and happy are not synonymous. They're very different. He doesn't mean happy. See, James is talking about a state of being rather than an emotion. He isn't talking about some Forrest Gump-like naivete. 
This isn't the notion that Christians will always smile through their trials. And I've heard preachers say those things. Christians will always smile through their trials. That's not what James is talking about. James's advice isn't just put on your happy face. Instead, what James is suggesting is that we all need to develop a mature perspective on life and a mature perspective on the world. And that mature perspective will carry us through all times, through good times and bad times. We also need to understand what James is talking about when he uses the word endurance or perseverance. He's talking about a consistency of faith. A consistency of faith in all situations. I like the way that Bruce Barton phrased it. He said, endurance is faith stretched out. Endurance is faith stretched out. Endurance is believing that God is on our side and it's believing that he is always working for our benefit. He's always working for the benefit of his sons and daughters in good times and in bad times. And the final word that we need to understand what James is talking about is the word consider. We'll consider the word consider. When James opens this passage by saying consider, consider it pure joy, he's given us an important clue about what type of counsel, what type of advice he's about to give. See, he's given counsel and he's giving advice about how we should think, not about how we should feel. James isn't saying, feel happy whenever you face trials. Instead, he's saying that Christians should look at things differently. He's saying that Christians should have a different perspective, a perspective that will allow us to see that even in the middle of life's trials, God has given us joy, and that joy comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a perspective we must have. And we must have that perspective because if we don't know how to deal with our trials, if we don't know how to view our trials, then our trials can weaken our faith. They can give us a distorted view of who God is and what he does for us. See, James knows that people often respond to trials that they're going through with questions. Questions like, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Or maybe even more strongly, why is God doing this to me? And having that kind of response and that kind of perspective about trials tears down our faith. So James steps in here to reassure us that God is not our enemy. James is telling us that God's on our side. He's telling us that God is working in the midst of these trials to bring about good. He's using our trials when they do occur to help us be more mature. He's using our trials when they do occur to bring us wisdom. He's using our trials to strengthen us and to strengthen our faith. God is on our side. He's not our enemy. So James's advice, his counsel is to develop a different perspective about trials. His counsel is to develop a mature perspective about trials. So what does this mature and different perspective look like? Well, first of all, James tells us that a mature perspective begins by acknowledging that our lives will have trials. There will be trials. Notice that James says, consider it pure joy whenever 
you face trials. He doesn't say if you face trials. He says when you face trials. There will be trials. Trials in our lives are a given. Sure, some people have more and some people have less, but all of us have experienced trials. Many of us are going through trials right now, and all of us will experience trials in the future. There will be trials. And James wants us to know that Christians don't get a pass. That's not part of the deal. We don't get a pass. We're not insulated from life's difficulties. When we were baptized, we didn't come out of the water enclosed in some kind of magic bubble wrap that protects us from all possible harm. That's not what happened. Our bones break. Our cells mutate. Our feelings get hurt. Our cars wreck. Our houses burn. And our loved ones die. Christians don't have a get-out-of-life's-trial-free card. We don't get a pass. In a mature perspective, James tells us, understands that there will be trials in life. And a mature perspective also includes the knowledge that this life is temporary. It's a temporary life that we live. And because this life is temporary, so are life's trials. Just like our lives will pass, so too will our trials. They are temporary. And a mature perspective understands that this life isn't all that there is. This temporary life isn't all that there is. This temporary life will fade away, and what really matters, what really matters is what is to come. And James tells us that these trials, these troubles that we go through, are used by God to prepare us for the life that is to come, to equip us for the eternal life that is to come. And James says that's where we find our joy. We don't find joy in the trials themselves, but we, with a mature perspective, find joy in what God is doing for us and will do for us in the midst of our trials. See, we find joy not in the mess that we're in, but we find joy in knowing that even in the mess, we aren't alone. God is with us. God is always with us. We began the service by reading the 23rd Psalm, and I'm going to read part of that again. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, for God are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, joy can be found because God is with us there. What does a mature perspective look like? Well, let's listen to James again. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith 
develops endurance. And endurance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, this mature perspective that James is talking about finds joy, not in the mess that we're in, but joy in our persevering faith, joy in our enduring faith, joy in our faith that stretched out through the trials. See, we are being used by God. Our trials are being used by God to increase our maturity. He's using our endurance through trials to prove us. He's using our endurance through trials to mature us, to finish us. He's using our trials to make us complete. And as we endure life's trials, God is shaping us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what else James says, beginning in verse 5. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. See, James is telling us that with a mature perspective, we can find joy. Not in the mess that we're in, but we can find joy in the fact that God is eager to give us exactly what we need to navigate life's trials. He's eager to give us wisdom. And James says wisdom is there for the asking. God is eager to give it to us. And he won't find fault in us for needing that wisdom. But James also says there is a condition. If you want that wisdom that you need to bring you through trials, you must ask and you must ask without doubt. I think it's important for us to understand that it's not perfect faith that James is talking about here. Perfect faith isn't a condition for receiving wisdom. And that's a good thing because if we had perfect faith, we really wouldn't need the additional wisdom And if we had perfect faith, we probably would have that mature perspective. So we don't have to have perfect faith to ask for and receive wisdom. James is also not saying that we can't have any questions. We can't have any spiritual doubts. What he is saying is that we can't be double-minded. We can't be two-faced. In fact, James here is echoing the words of his big brother. He's echoing the words of Jesus Remember on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. See, we can't doubt that God is hearing our prayers. We can't doubt that God is on our side. We can't doubt that God, and only God, has the power to give us the wisdom that we need to get us through life's trials. We don't know exactly how God is going to make that happen. But we just need to trust that he will make it happen. And James promises us that he will make it happen because our God is eager to give us wisdom. See what else James had to say. Verse 12, James writes this. He said, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test... He will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 
So James tells us that a mature perspective finds joy, not in the trials themselves, but joy. Joy in everything, because we understand that this life isn't all there is. We understand that there's a new life to come. And in that new life, there won't be any trials. There is an enduring, eternal life to come for those whose faith and those whose love endures through life's trials. And so as God's children, we are able to look forward joyfully. Even in the midst of the messes that we're in, we're able to look forward joyfully to a life with God. A life with God when we will finally leave this life's trials, this life's troubles behind. But a mature perspective doesn't end there. See, a mature perspective also includes a perspective about other people, not just about us. A mature perspective is concerned about our brothers and concerned about our sisters as they go through their life trials. See, a mature perspective will allow us to use the wisdom that God has granted us to help others through their trials. To put it in another way, we're all in a position to give others joy, to give others God's joy when we demonstrate, when we show them that God's children are not alone. I become more and more and more convinced that most of us feel God's presence, especially when we're going through trials. We feel God's presence most clearly, most tangibly. We feel God's presence through our brothers and sisters in Christ, through others, through Christians. We feel the presence of God, not surprisingly, through God's children, through God's people. We feel God's presence through our brothers and sisters, especially when we're going through trials. And I hate to say it, but I'm afraid that we don't always do a very good job of helping people know that they aren't alone in the midst of their trials. We don't always do a really good job of helping others feel God's presence through our presence as they're going through their trials. So I want to end our time this morning focused on that. I want to ask the question, how will our brothers and sisters know that they aren't alone in the midst of their trials? And I'm going to give us seven answers. Certainly not an all-inclusive list, but seven answers that I have learned over the years that I think are important as we try to help our brothers and sisters know that they aren't alone in the midst of their trials. Five of those answers are things that we will do to help them know that they aren't alone. And two of those things are things that we will not do. Things that actually might make them feel like they are alone. So here we go, the first one, number one. How will people know that they aren't alone in their trials? This may seem obvious. They will know that they aren't alone in their trials because we will be people who listen. I mean, really listen. At our house, we call that listening with your face. You're focused. You're looking into their eyes. You're paying attention. You're really listening. We will listen without interrupting. We'll listen even when it's inconvenient. And when we listen, when we 
really listen, we'll help our brothers and sisters feel God's presence in the midst of their trials simply, simply by listening to them. And in my experience, that's what most people want, and that's what most people need. They just need someone to really listen. Number two, how will people know they aren't alone in their trials? Well, they will know they're not alone in their trials because we won't minimize their trials. We won't minimize their trials. To put it another way, we won't try to make their trials seem as if they're not really trials. You've probably had experience with this. It's the you think you have it bad syndrome. You think it's bad that you wrecked your car? Well, let me tell you what happened in our family. I wrecked my car. My wife wrecked her car in the same day. Your trials aren't that big of a deal. Let me tell you about my trials. See, trials don't have to be the worst trials ever to still be trials. And just because we or maybe someone we know has worse trials doesn't mean that our brothers' and sisters' trials aren't trials. So we won't minimize other people's trials. Third, how will people know they aren't alone? Well, they know that they aren't alone because we will let their trials be about them. See, we won't respond by saying we know how they feel. I know exactly how you feel. You can't say that because you don't know exactly how somebody else feels. See, we're talking about their feelings. We're not talking about our feelings. And we also won't use their trials to talk about our trials. You call that a tumor? I once had a tumor the size of a beach ball. Now, that's a tumor. You think your husband's thoughtless just because he forgot your anniversary? My husband forgot our wedding day. It's not about your trials. It's about my trials. And see, what we will do is we will let their trials be about them and not about us. Fourth thing that we will do, we will not judge their emotions. We'll not yet use this phrase, you shouldn't feel that way. Because people feel the way that they feel and they need to be able to express their emotions. And we need to be able to listen to those emotions, even when those emotions are difficult to hear. So when someone says, I feel like God doesn't even hear me anymore, it's much better to say, I can see how you might feel that way. It's much better to say that than you shouldn't feel that way. See, we'll be people who won't judge other people's emotions. The fifth thing that we will do is we will let other people's trials bring us to our knees. We will pray for our brothers and sisters in the midst of their trials. We will pray for God to give them strength, and we will pray for God to give them the wisdom that they need to bring them through their trials. And we will also pray that God will give us strength and God will give us wisdom so we can help them through their trials and help them feel God's presence in their lives. See, one of the most powerful things that we can do is certainly to pray. But sometimes we miss a second step in that. And that's letting people know that we are praying for them. We should be sending notes. We should be sending texts. We should be sending emails. 
We should be sending out texts that say, I just finished praying for you. We should be sending out emails that say, I just got up off my knees from praying for you. And notes to people letting them know that they're in our thoughts and our prayers to help them feel God's presence in their life and help them through the trials that they're facing. So we'll be people who will let other people's trials bring us to our knees in prayer. The sixth thing that we will do is we will look to the future. And we'll look to the future together. We'll have conversations not just about the present trial that our brothers and sisters are going through, but we'll talk about life after the trial. We'll also make it very clear that we will be with them through the trial and we'll be with them after the trial. That's what we will do. We will be with them in good times and bad times, just like God is with them in good times and bad times. So they will feel God's presence in their lives. So we will look to the future together. And we'll look to the future together because we are people who will persevere. We're people who will endure. We will stick it out together. See, our brothers and sisters will know they aren't alone because we won't desert them in the midst, in the middle of their trials. And I need to acknowledge the fact that bringing God's presence to our brothers and sisters who are going through trials is hard work. It can wear us out. But we will be people who endure. And we will endure so that our brothers and sisters can endure and so that we can all stand the test. and So that we can all receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You know, we live in a world that often has very different things to say and has a very different perspective. We live in a world that has a perspective that says that the only things that really matter in this life is what happens in this life. We live in a world that has a perspective that says, well, some people are just lucky and some people are just unlucky. But, you know, whatever happens here is all there is. And James reminds us, and I want to remind us this morning, that this isn't all there is. So my encouragement is James's encouragement. Let's develop a mature perspective about life's inevitable trials. God is not our enemy. God is for us. God is working with us. God is giving us wisdom. And God is perfecting us through our trials. So Netherwood, let us be people who have a faith that stretches out through every situation. Let us be a people who find joy in being God's children. And let us be a people who bring that joy to others by bringing God's presence, by bringing God's love, by bringing God's light into their dark trials. And then we'll be the family that God calls us to be. And I also want to say this morning that you may be here and you may be in the midst of one of life's trials. And we want you to know that we do want to help. More importantly, we want you to know that God wants to help you through your trials. God is eager to help. God is eager to give you the wisdom that you need to bring you through your trials. 
So won't you let us know about your trials? Won't you let your trials bring us to our knees in prayer? Won't you bring your trials to God today so that he can generously give you what he wants to give you, his wisdom to bring you through trials? Won't you let us pray with you for his wisdom? Won't you let us pray for that together? You can let us know about trials that you may be going through in a couple of different ways. Traditionally, we stand up, we have an invitation song, and you can walk to the front and you can let us know about trials that you're going through and we will pray for you and for your wisdom to get through those trials. It may be more comfortable for you, though, to do that in a more private setting. We have a couple of men, a couple of our elders that will be in room 104. They are there specifically to pray for and pray with people who are going through difficult times. So as we're singing the song, as we're standing up together, you can make your way to the back, ask for directions to room 104, and you can know that you will be prayed for by these men, prayed for in the midst of your trials. God is with us, and God does give generously to us. And let's stand together, and let's praise our God together.